Section 18 of the Black Poodle and Other Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carmen H. The Black Poodle and Other Tales by F. Anstey. A Farewell Appearance, Part 1. A Dog Story for Children. Andy, come here, sir. I want you. The little girl who spoke was standing by the table in the morning room of a London house one summer day, and she spoke to a small silver-gray terrier lying curled up at the foot of one of the window curtains. As Dandy happened to be particularly comfortable just then, he pretended not to hear, in the hope that his child mistress would not press the point. But she did not choose to be trifled with in this way. He was caught more imperiously still until he could dissemble no longer and came up gradually, stretching himself and yawning with a deep sense of injury. I know you haven't been asleep. I saw you watching the flies, she said. Come up here, on the table. Seeing there was no help for it, he obeyed and sat down on the tablecloth opposite to her, with his tongue hanging out and his eyes blinking, waiting her pleasure. Dandy was rather particular as to the hands he allowed to touch him, but generally speaking, he found it pleasant enough, when he had nothing better to do, to resign himself to be pulled about, lectured, or caressed by Hilda. She was a strikingly pretty child, with long curling brown locks and a petulant profile, which reminded one of Mr. Doyle's charming willful little fairy princesses. On the whole, Although Dandy privately considered she had taken rather a liberty in disturbing him, he was willing to overlook it. I've been thinking, Dandy, said Hilda, reflectively, that as you and Lady Angelina will be thrown a good deal together when we go into the country next week, you ought to know one another, and you've never been properly introduced yet, so I'm going to introduce you now. Now, Lady Angelina was only Hilda's doll, and a doll, too, with perhaps as few ideas as any doll ever had yet, which is a good deal to say. Dandy despised her with all the enlightenment of a thoroughly superior dog. He considered there was simply nothing in her, except possibly Brent, and it had made him jealous and angry for a long time to notice the influence that this staring, simpering creature had managed to gain over her mistress. Now sit up, said Hilda. Dandy sat up. He felt that committed him to nothing, but he was careful not to look at Lady Angelina, who was lolling ungracefully in the work basket with her toes turned in. Lady Angelina, said Hilda next, with great ceremony, let me introduce my particular friend, Mr. Dandy. Dandy, you ought to bow and say something nice and clever, only you can't. So you must give Angelina your paw instead. Here was an insult for a self-respecting dog. Dandy determined never to disgrace himself by presenting his paw to a dog. It was quite against his principles. He dropped on all fours rebelliously. That's very rude of you, said Hilda. But you shall do it. Angelina will think it so odd of you. Sit up again and give your paw, and let Angelina stroke your head. The dog's little black nose wrinkled and his lips twitched, showing his sharp white teeth. He was not going to be touched by Angelina's flabby wax hand if he could help it. 
Unfortunately, Hilda, like older people sometimes, was bent upon forcing persons to know one another, in spite of an obvious unwillingness on at least one side, and so she brought the dog up to the terrier, and taking one limping arm, attempted to pat the dog's head with it. This was too much. His eyes flamed red like two signal lamps. There was a sharp, sudden snap and the next minute Lady Angelina's right arm was crunched viciously between Dandy's keen teeth. After that there was a terrible pause. Dandy knew he was in for it, but he was not sorry. He dropped the mangled pieces of wax one by one, and stood there with his head on one side, growling to himself, but wincing for all that, for he was afraid to meet Hilda's indignant grey eyes. You abominable barbarous dog! she said at last, using the longest words she could to impress him. See what you've done! You've bitten poor Lady Angelina's arm off! He could not deny it. He had. He looked down at the fragments before him, and then sullenly up again at Hilda. His eyes said what he felt. I'm glad of it. Serves her right. I'll do it again. You deserve to be well whipped, continued Hilda severely. But you do how so? I shall leave you to your own conscience, a favourite remark of a governess, until your bad heart is touched. And you come here and say you're sorry and beg both our pardons. I only wish you could be made to pay for a new arm. Go away out of my sight, you bad dog. I can't bear to look at you. Dandy, still impenitent, moved leisurely down from the table and out of the open door into the kitchen. He was thinking that Angelina's arm was very nasty, and he should like something to take the taste away. When he got downstairs, however, he found Butcher was calling and had left the area gate open, which struck him as a good opportunity for a ramble. By the time he came back, Hilda would have forgotten all about it, or she might think he was lost, and find out which was the more valuable animal, a silly, useless dog, or an intelligent dog like himself. Hilda saw him from the window as he bolted out with tail erect. He's doing it to show off, she said to herself. He's a horrid dog sometimes, but I suppose I shall have to forgive him when he comes back. However, Dandy did not come back that night, nor all next day, nor the day after that, nor any more, for the fact was an experienced dog stealer had long had his eye upon him, and Dandy happened to come across him that very morning. He was not such a stupid dog as to be unaware he was doing wrong in following a stranger. But then the man had such delightful suggestions about him of things dogs love to eat, and then they had started for his run in a disobedient temper. So he followed the broken nose, bandy-legged man till they reached a narrow lonely alley, and then just as Dandy was thinking about going home again, the stranger turned suddenly on him, hemmed him up in a corner, caught him dexterously up in one hand, tapped him sharply on the head, and slipped him, stunned, into a capacious inside pocket. I thought very likely I should come on you in here, Bob, said a broken-nosed man in a fur cap about a week after Dandy's disappearance, to a short, red-faced horseman who was drinking at the bar of a public house. Ah, said the horseman. Well, you ain't for out as it happens. Yes, I did, said the other. I met your partner the other day, and he tells me you're looking out for a new Toby dog. I've got an article somewheres 
about me at this moment I should like you to cast a eye over. And, diving into his inside pocket, he fished out a small shining silver-gray terrier, which he slammed down rather roughly on the pewter counter. Of course, the terrier was Hilda's lost dandy. For some reason or other, the dog-stealer had not thought it prudent to claim the reward offered for him as he had intended to do at first, and dandy, not being of a breed in fashionable demand, the man was trying to get rid of him now, for the best price he could obtain from humble purchasers. Well, we do want an understudy, and that's a fact, said the horseman, who was one of the managers of Mr. Punch's theater. The Toby as travels with us now is breaking up, getting so blind he don't know Punch from Jack Catch, but that there animal uh, never make a it as a Toby, he said, examining Dandy critically. Why, that's meet a gentleman's dog once, that has, we don't want no amateurs on our show. It's the amateurs as draws nowadays, said the dog fancier. Not but what this air particular dog has his gifts for the profession. You see him sit up and smoke a pipe and give you his paw now. And he put Dandy through these performances on the sloppy counter. It was much worse than being introduced to Angelina, but hunger and fretting and rough treatment had broken down the dog's spirit, and it was with dull submission now that he repeated the poor little tricks Hilda had taught him with such pretty perseverance. It's no use talking, said the showman, though he began to show some signs of yielding. It takes a tight bone and bread to make a regular Toby, and this ain't a young dog, and he ain't had no proper dramatic education. He's not worth to us not the lowest you'll take for him. Well now, I'll tell you, Alpha, I'm willing to meet you, said the other persuasively. You shall have him, seeing it's your, for, and so they haggled on for a little longer. But at the end of the interview, Dandy had changed hands and was permanently engaged as a member of Mr. Punch's travelling company. A few days after that, Dandy made acquaintance with his strange fellow performers. The man had put the show up on a deserted part of a common near London, behind the railings of a little cemetery, where no one was likely to interfere with them, and the new Toby was hoisted up on the very narrow and uncomfortable shelf to go through his first interview with Mr. Punch. When that popular gentleman appeared at his side, Dandy examined him with prick and curious ears. He was rather odd-looking, but his smile, though there was certainly a good deal of it, seemed genial and encouraging, and the poor dog wagged his tail in a conciliatory manner. He wanted someone to be kind to him again. The dog's a fool, Bob, growled Jam, the other proprietor of the show, a little shabby dirty-faced man with a thin and ragged red beard, who was watching the experiment from the outside. He's a-wagging his blooming tail, he'll be a licking of Punch's face next, try him with a squeak. And Bob produced a sound, which was a hideous compound of chuckle, squeak, and crow, when Dandy, in the full persuasion that the strange figure must be a new variety of cat, flew at it blindly. But though he managed to get a firm grip of its great hooked nose, there was not much satisfaction to be got out of that. The heart would make his teeth ache, and besides, in his excitement, he overbalanced himself and came suddenly down upon Mr. Robert Block inside, who swore horribly and put him up again. 
Then, after a little highly mysterious dancing up and down and wagging his head, Mr. Punch, in the most uncalled-for manner, hit Dandy over the head with a stick, in order, as Jem put it, to get up an ill-feeling between them, a wanton insult that made the dog madder than ever. He did not revenge himself at once. He only barked furiously and retreated to his corner of the stage. But the next time, Punch came sidling cautiously up to him. Dandy made, not for his wooden head, but for a place between his shoulders, which he thought looked more yielding. There was a savage howl from below. Punch dropped in a heap on a narrow shelf, and Mr. Block sucked his finger and thumb with many curses. Mr. Punch was not killed, however, though Dandy had at first imagined he had settled him. He revived almost directly, when he proceeded to rain down such a shower of savage blows from his thick stick upon every part of the dog's defenseless body that Dandy was completely subdued long before his master thought fit to leave off. By the time the lesson came to an end, Danny was sore and shaken and dazed, for Bob had allowed himself to be a little carried away by personal feeling. Still, it only showed Dandy more plainly that Mr. Punch was not a person to be trifled with, and though he liked him as little as ever, he respected as well as feared him. Unfortunately for Dandy, he was a highly intelligent terrier of an inquiring turn of mind, and so, after he had been led about for some days with the show, and was able to think things over and put them together, he began to suspect that Punch and the other figures were not alive after all, but only a particularly ugly set of dolls, which Mr. Blot put in motion in some way best known to himself. From the time he was perfectly certain of this, he felt a degraded dog indeed. He had scorned once to allow himself to be even touched by Angelina, who at least was not unpleasant to look at, and always quite inoffensive. Now every hour of his life, he found himself ordered about and insulted before a crowd of shabby strangers by a vulgar, tawdry door, to which he was obliged to be silver and even affectionate, as if it was something real. Dandy was an honest dog, and so, of course, it was very revolting to his feelings to have to impose upon the public in this manner. But Mr. Punch, if he was only a dog, had a way of making himself obeyed and though in time the new Toby learned to perform his duties respectably enough, he did so without the least enthusiasm. It wounded his pride, besides making him very uncomfortable. When Punch caught hold of his head and something with red whiskers and a blue frock took him by the hind legs and danced jerkily round the stage with him, he hated that more than anything. Day by day he grew more miserable and homesick. He loathed the Punch, and Judy show and every doll in it, from the hero down to the ghost and the baby. Jem and Bob were not actually unkind to him, and would even have been friendly had he allowed it, but he was a dainty dog with a natural dislike to ill-dressed and dirty persons, and strength from their rough if well-meant advances. He never could forget what he had once been and what he was, and often, in the closed sleeping-room of some common lodging-house, he dreamt of the comfortable home he had lost, and Hilda's pretty imperious face, and woke to miss her more than ever. At first, his new masters had been careful to keep him from all chance of escape, and Bob led him after the show by a string. But, 
as he seemed to be getting resigned to his position, allowed him to run loose. He was trotting tamely at Jem's heels one hot August morning, followed by a small train of admiring children, when all at once he became aware that he was in a street he knew well. He was near his old home, a few minutes' hard run, and he would be safe with Hilda. He looked up sideways at Jem, who was beating his drum and blowing his pipes, with his eyes on the lower and upper windows. Bob's head was inside the show, and both were in front and not thinking of him just then. Then they stopped, turned round upon the unwashed children behind, looked wistfully up at them as much as to say, Don't tell, and then bolted at the top of his speed. There was a shrill cry from the children at once of, Oh, Mr. Punch, sir, please, your dogs are running away from here, and angry calls to return from the two men. Jem even made an attempt to pursue him, but the drum was too much in his way, and a small dog is not easily caught at the best of times when he takes it into his head to run away, so he gave it up sulkily. End of section 18